So I asked our staff to gather some information on our competitors' performance in this area of our business. It turned out that while we were doing quite well in several areas, such as air emissions and oil spills, things of that nature, turned out that we were in seventh place out of the then eight major international oil companies with respect to employee safety and lost time accidents. Others learned that uh, we were going to report these competitive findings to the board. We started to get some pushback. And in fact, one manager threatened that if we did this, there would be blood on the floor and it would be my blood. So this, of course, this, this of course gave me some pause, but it, again, you know, God expects us to be a good steward. And my responsibility was to support the company's operations in improving its environmental health and safety performance. And I wasn't sure that our executive committee really knew the truth of our safety performance compared to our competitors. And I knew, knew them, and I, I just couldn't imagine. I thought if they knew, they would want to do something about it. Welcome to the 9 to 5 podcast, conversations with Christians about lives of faith, integrity, and excellence at work. They are from Christians in Commerce, a ministry supporting and encouraging men and women to be Christ in the workplaces. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, this is Luke Kale with CIC. Grateful to be here recording another 9 to 5 podcast with Bill Dalgetty. Bill is a former executive at Mobile Corporation and eventually working his way uh, to the role of general manager of environmental health and safety prior to retiring. Bill, thanks so much for being with us today. Well, you're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. So Bill, just to start off with, we'd love to hear you tell us a little bit about your the early part of your career, what motivated you in those days, and where you found success, and what were some of those challenges? Well, when I was uh, a young attorney in my 30s for Mobile, I thought I was on an upward track in my career, and that began to dominate my life. Everything else, my wife, my children, my relationship with God took second place. While I went to church every Sunday and uh, loved my family, my career in moving up the corporate ladder had become the most important thing in my life. Well, as often happens when you have some disorder in one area of your life, it creeps into other areas of your life and, uh, and it impacts those other areas. And my dominant concern for career opened the door to disorder and sin that began to interfere with my relationship with God, his will for my life, not to mention my relationship with my wife and family. But through God's grace and the example of my life, that all changed when I was invited one October evening in a, in a Life in the Spirit program to turn over the mixed priorities and sin in my life to Jesus Christ. I did, and my life has never been the same since. I could tell you a little bit about that evening if you would like. Yeah, let's before we jump into that cuz that was a profound moment in your career and kind of a transition point. I mean, I think what you share is such a, a a temptation and something that a temptation for all of us Christians in the workplace just the idea of especially if you're on a fast track and finding su- success in your career kind of having your 
career define your identity. And uh, it seems like that was kind of one of those things where it, it became very much so a live to work kind of uh, approach to your to your life in those early days. And I would love to hear just kind of really practically kind of what what made you successful kind of what what was the the key to you being on that fast track and finding success in your career in those days well i uh i was fortunate to uh have some things fall in place early in my career uh i uh had started with mobile and marketing i didn't like that i decided i i always wanted to go to law school but i didn't have any money to do it so i uh after I had started with mobile, I decided to uh, leave the company, get a job as an insurance adjuster and go to Knight Law School in Kansas City. And I told the company what I was going to do. And they said, well, you don't need to do that. Uh, we've got a credit card center here. You can go to work for the credit card center and work from uh, nine to five and go to law school at night. So I did that. And shortly thereafter, uh, they had one attorney in Kansas City who was overworked. He learned that I was going to law school and he says, Hey, how would you like to be my law clerk? And so I became his law clerk while I was going to law school. And, uh, he was very generous in the kind of work and the quality of work he gave. And by the time I graduated from law school, I was handling multi-million dollar real estate transactions and doing things that uh, some attorneys uh, two to five years out of law school weren't doing. And uh, then after I graduated, Mobile offered me a job and a position and a salary that was much higher than I was able to obtain by going to work for a law firm in Kansas City. So I stayed with Mobile and went into their legal department. And then some other things happened and broke and uh, I was given a fairly major responsibility uh, after uh, a couple years out of law school that opened the door to other things and uh, and I uh, was offered a job in New York I went to New York and uh, just a lot of great opportunities uh, came along challenges uh, to the business that I was able to offer uh, and oversee the legal services for that uh, opened the door to attention uh, by people higher up. And so as a result, uh, I just was moving along at a pretty fast clip uh, into my uh, mid-30s. And uh, so that's why I got caught up with, with my career. And it wasn't that I, I didn't love God anymore or that I was didn't care about my family. I, th those things still were important to me, but uh, the headiness of moving along at uh, a fairly rapid clip early in my life, uh, I succumbed to all of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. Yep. No, that's a great story. And I appreciate you kind of telling that, that additional detail because it's so relatable when you have those successes and you see yourself thriving in those environments, but they also demand a lot. It's hard to know kind of where to draw the line. Um, and it's very easy to get caught up in it. So you you alluded to this in terms of your profound experience that kind of was a, a turning point for you. Yeah, what happened there and kind of how did that impact your work life? Okay, well, uh, what had happened was I was uh, involved in teaching uh, high school religion to high school teachers. And there was a woman there who kept 
after me, she kept inviting me to different things and uh, events and prayer meetings and what have you. And I continued to turn her down. And so she dropped me and went to my wife. And so she started inviting my <laughs> wife to things. And my wife said yes. And so she started to go. And, it, and uh, so there was this kind of uh, life in the spirit renewal program that ran for five nights in a nearby parish. And so my wife asked me to go and each night uh, I would had a briefcase full of work and I'd say, no, I, I'm too busy. I can't go. And she would go and then she would come home each night from these, uh, the event. And she just, I could just see a lot of joy in her. And then on the fourth night she came home and she was absolutely radiant. And I, I looked at her and, and then she said to me, you know, I think I could forgive almost anything of anybody. I said, wow, to myself, I better go. It was the last night, but I better go and see what's happening. She actually, she said, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to go. This is the last night. You missed the first four nights. I said, well, I'm <laughs> going to just put in come your and time check it out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, on, on the the last evening was what they called a healing mass, and I'd never been to a healing mass before. But at one point, the priest who was uh, in charge uh, asked everybody to kneel down, close their eyes, and imagine that they're off somewhere all alone with nobody present except Jesus. And then he said, uh, give whatever need you have, whether it's a need for healing or reconciliation in your life or a sin in your life, give it to Jesus. So I dutifully knelt down, closed my eyes. And for whatever reason, imagine that I was off on a lonely country road south of Kansas City, Missouri on the way to my wife's grandmother's farm. So I'm standing there, <clears throat> Jesus is standing in front of me. I say, well, Lord, you know what's been going on in my life, the sin and the disorder. Would you take it from me? And before I finish the question, I, I could feel an answer. It wasn't a verbal answer, but I could feel a yes. And I just had this sense of release kind of go through my body and the proverbial weight being taken off my shoulders. And I, I knew it was happening. And I... I was, uh, it was so real, you know, I, I can describe the farmhouse we were standing in front of, where the mailbox was, where Jesus was standing. It was as if I'd been transported by the spirit uh, from the church to that country road. Well, that time finished, the priest said a nice prayer and went on with the rest of the evening's program. And as the evening progressed, I, start to wonder now, did that really happen? Or did I just imagine that? So the program for the evening uh, finished and they had prayer teams around the church that were available to pray for people for various needs. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll just go up to that prayer team. I'd never done anything like that before, but just go up for a little insurance that what really happened really happened. And so I did, and uh, but I didn't want to tell them about all of that. I just said, I'd like prayers for a spiritual healing, which was a term I'd heard earlier in the evening. And so there, they prayed over me, they anointed my head with oil, and it was all very nice. And I thanked them, I started to walk away. And a, a priest who was part of the prayer team 
took hold of my arm and he says, you don't believe. I looked at him startled and he said, oh, you believe in God, but you don't believe that he has healed you of your problem, what you've come up here for. He said, God doesn't think you're half as bad as you think you are. If you'll just accept his love and forgiveness, good things will start happening in your life. Well, if I was moved by the prior experience, I was absolutely overwhelmed by this. For Here was a man I'd never met in my life, and he was speaking to the innermost secrets and desires of my heart. How could he know? Who told him to say these things? Well, the next morning I woke with a tremendous sense of peace and God started the long process of changing my life. Yeah, so how did you feel yourself being different at work then? Coming from that experience as you as you had this fullness of the Holy Spirit kind of radiating through you. Well, if you'd ask my wife, she would tell you that from that day forward, all my priorities began to change. God gave me a desire to be reconciled with anyone I might have offended. He gave me a new thirst to read the Bible. I was commuting into New York City at the time, and over the next few months, I just read the Bible from cover to cover, and and words just leapt off the page. Uh, He renewed my love for my wife and my family. He gave me uh, a new love for my church. And finally, he gave me a desire to bring his renewed presence in me through the power of the Holy Spirit to all aspects of my life, including my work life. Bring your Christian coworkers together using our free resources. Go to workingforourfather.com and download a free copy of the three keys to transformative small groups. You'll find it on our challenge group page. Our newsletter and workday reflections will help launch meaningful conversations about lives of faith, integrity, and excellence. All right, Bill. So there are a couple of specific stories I know that came to you in terms of how your faith guided you and some of the difficult moments in your career kind of after that profound experience. I would love to hear you share those with us. Well, one of the things that uh, the Lord, uh, I think, brought to me and was the importance of uh, God gives us various gifts, talents, responsibilities, particularly in the workplace. And uh, it's important that we are a good steward of those gifts and talents and, and responsibilities. And uh, the more responsibility you have, particularly if you have people working under you, uh, the more God expects of you. And the more being a good steward with respect to those people are important. In my last assignment with Mobile, uh, I served as general manager of environmental health and safety. And shortly after assuming the job, I learned that I was expected to give a presentation to our executive committee and board of directors on uh, the general state of the company's environmental health and safety performance. So I first thing I did was get out some past reports and see what people before me had done. And I noticed in looking at past reports that there had been no comparison of our company performance to our competitors' performance. 
there were comparisons to industry average, but not to our competitors' performances. And I knew that in the financial end of our business, we track competitive performance uh, in every way it could possibly be measured. So why weren't we doing this in environmental health and safety? So I asked our staff to gather some information on our competitors' performance in this area of our business. It turned out that while we were doing quite well in several areas, such as air emissions and oil spills, things of that nature, turned out that we were in seventh place out of the then eight major international oil companies with respect to employee safety and lost time accidents. Others learned that uh, we were going to report these competitive findings to the board. We started to get some pushback. And in fact, one manager threatened that if we did this, there would be blood on the floor and it would be my blood. <laughs> so threatening. This of, course, <laughs> this, this, of course, gave me some pause. But it, again, you know, God expects us to be a good steward. And my responsibility was to support the company's operations and improving its environmental health and safety performance. And I wasn't sure that our executive committee really knew the truth of our safety performance compared to our competitors. And I knew, knew them and I, I just couldn't imagine. I thought if they knew they would want to do something about it. So we gave a report first to the executive committee and then the board. And there was no blood on the floor. Instead, the chairman looking around the table at the various executive vice presidents that uh, were responsible for our major business units. And he said, now, I don't want anyone coming back to me with attempts to reconcile or explain <clears throat> what we've heard today. What I want to happen is for us to change our performance in this area. Well, from that point forward, Mobile began giving a renewed priority to the company's environmental health and safety performance in its operations, which spanned across 100 companies, 100 plus countries, excuse me, around the world. We began reporting on our environmental health and safety performance on a quarterly basis, just like we did with our financial performance. We set targets for that performance. We established an environmental health and safety management system that detailed specific requirements for every job having an impact on environment and, and uh, safety uh, from a stillman in a refinery to the chairman of the board. We made environmental health and safety uh, a significant factor in the appraisal of performance of every manager and executive that affected their direct compensation. When I retired from Mobile three and a half years later, Mobile had moved from seventh to second place in employee safety performance among the major international oil companies. Wow. And, and I think God does care about how we do our jobs and carry out our responsibilities. And uh, in this case, lost time accidents are very costly, both to the employee, of course, and, and to the company. Uh, reducing accidents avoids injuries, saves lives, and the associated costs uh, that go with that. So I, I, I kind of felt like my actions in this matter were in line with what God wanted me to do. And his spirit and presence in me gave me the courage and the wisdom uh, to do it. 
And I love that. Yeah, I love that because it's, you know, such a, a, a an actionable example, you know, but also something that's both practical, but obviously in the good of, of humanity and, and something that God puts you in a position to, to be in that room with that responsibility to, to see that need and then actually have the ability to do something. What's something you know now that you would like to know sooner as it relates to integrating your faith into your work life that maybe we haven't already touched on? I've seen... And I, I don't think a lot of people realize this, but our work is important to God. Everybody's work, regardless of what you do, it's important to God. Uh, Genesis says God placed us in the garden of his creation to work and take care of it. And when we invite Jesus into our hearts, he is with us wherever we go, including our workplaces. We can consult with him. We can ask him, what should we do? And relationship to our decisions, you know, or how to relate to others or how we deal with certain challenges. We can ask Jesus, how should we respond to a given situation? What should we say? How should we react? I remember uh, I would pray on the way to meetings uh, that uh, God would be present, his peace would be present, particularly if I felt like there was a challenge coming. Or sometimes when I'd be in a meeting and things were getting out of hand and one person's going after another person, I would just quietly pray for, for God's peace. And it was amazing to see how often <laughs> things changed after I'd be quietly praying. So I think that's an opportunity we can all, we all have, we can all bring to our workplaces, uh, regardless of what our job is. That's great. So you actually wrote a book and I would love to, to have you talk a little bit about that. So the book's called Hope for the Workplace. What kind of tell us a little bit about the book and what inspired you to write it? Well, the premise of the book is based upon something uh, St. Paul says in Colossians, where he says the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations is Christ in you. So the premise of the book is if we accept God's invitation to dwell in us, we can be the hope for business and commerce. We can transform our workplaces and how we relate to others or conduct ourselves or and that that we conduct ourselves with integrity or god wants us to seek excellence in what we do uh he wants us to be good stewards of of what our responsibilities are that's great and this book is is full of amazing stories some of which are your own you know, your own story isn't it but What's another story that kind of stood out to you as being especially compelling from that book? Well, they uh, mention a story of a fellow in, uh, in the book. His, we, his name is Doug. His name's actually uh, something different, but just for, to protect his anonymity, uh, we called him Doug. But uh, what happened was Doug went to work for a new company in San Jose that uh, resulted from a merger of four other companies. And after the new public went, or excuse me, after the new company went public, both management and investors carefully watched the company's first quarter results. As the end of the quarter drew near, uh, it appeared that earnings were going to fall short of projections. So management decided to, that it would uh, pre-bill some of the next quarter sales so that earnings for the current quarter would meet projections. 
Well, when Doug learned of this, he protested to his boss and he said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be a party of any accounting manipulations that might, res that might result in the misstatement of uh, first quarter innings. And uh, the boss said, well, you know, there's nothing, nothing I can do. This was a decision made by senior management. Well, it turns out that Doug uh, knew the president of the company uh, from uh, his, his work in, in one of the uh, smaller companies. And so he told his boss that he was going to call the president and express his concern. And, and Doug did that. Uh, interestingly, when, when the president responded that the company's lawyers and accountants had approved the proposed action, Doug said, well, remember the, that integrity was in the forefront of the new company's vision statement. This, this action by the company, it certainly does not live up to that vision. Well, the next day, the president reversed the decision. And uh, because of Doug's courage and willingness to stand up for accounting integrity, he, uh, in county, accounting integrity prevailed <laughs> in this case. And uh, uh, Doug, if you ask Doug uh, about this, he, he would tell you that his, his Christian faith uh, and uh, that uh, his relationship with Jesus uh, enabled him to have the courage uh, to take advantage of his prior relationship with the new president and to go forward and, and take a stand. Boldness can be really scary in work settings because a lot can be at stake. You can you know, your, your income, your livelihood, you know, if you have a family and kids in those moments where doing the right thing can feel very risky to one's, you know, survival in, in some cases. So it's amazing when, when that, that boldness is both considered, but then actually followed through on. So that's a great story of, of someone doing the right thing. And then ultimately it probably working out well for the company and certainly well for him, uh, kind of following his convictions. So I personally have read the book a couple of times and as and I'm not a book reader. <laughs> Getting through a book is a huge accomplishment for somebody like me. So, you know, but it's really just all the stories that make it so easy to absorb and they're also inspiring. So in terms of purchasing this book, we don't usually do many promotions, but this is going to be an exception because it's certainly aligned to to the whole spirit of this podcast and uh, and the mission of CIC. So you can buy the book at hopefortheworkplace.com. And I, th I think you can also find it on Amazon. So highly encourage uh, everyone to go check that out and, and work their way through those stories and, and be inspired to, to do similar things in their own workplaces when the opportunity presents itself. Well, Bill, this has been a delight. Thank you so much for taking the time to share us about your journey, your your work experience at mobile and, and how that that was a successful 38 year career with an important inflection point halfway through. Uh, and I think it's, it's something that those of us who are in positions where our careers mean a lot to us, you know, how do we navigate that? And I think you did a great job of, of share, sharing that yourself. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. You'll want to check out our website at workingforourfather.com. 
It's constantly being updated with new content to support you and others in living your faith at work.